This podcast is made possible by supporters like you. Mahalo. And by Atlas Insurance Agency, Hawaii's largest professional agency, helping Hawaii navigate insurance solutions since 1929. More at atlasinsurance.com. Aloha my kako. Welcome to a new episode of What School You Went? We start every conversation with this question. I'm Ron Mizutani. And today we're talking about an ongoing health crisis here in Hawaii. And we're not talking about COVID-19. Now, this health crisis is the continued use and abuse of crystal methamphetamine, a potent stimulant drug which affects the central nervous system in a very powerful and a very destructive way. And it's one that has devastated thousands and thousands of Hawaii families. I want to welcome an old friend, David Earls, to the conversation. David is an executive management and development professional, has a diverse experience uh, driving successful fundraising strategies in all areas, including the nonprofit world. He is the former executive director of the Hawaii Meth Project. Good morning to you, David. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Ron. I should let you uh, introduce me more often. You make me sound good. I like it. Well, my friend, you've done many good things and great things for this community, and and you've touched hundreds of thousands of lives in your time here. Uh, Crystal meth, meth, ice, speed, crank, chalk. I mean, the the, the slangs uh, of of methamphetamine still very relevant today. It remains the dominant drug of abuse in Hawaii. Your thoughts on that? It's... uh... It's so devastating, and it's so hard to talk about because it, although people use it, and a lot of people use it, and it destroys a lot of lives, there's so many people that truly don't understand what it is they're even seeing when someone walks past them on the street when you're stopped at a streetlight. They don't even understand. They just think of it as psychosis or something else, when in reality, it's a chemical reaction that people have allowed into their system, and it takes over their body in such a way they can't stop. And that's the scary part to this is you truly can't stop it. I actually talked once to somebody applying to work with us at the meth project who was clean. And he says, I used to be a meth addict. And I, how did you get off of it? He says, um, I started using heroin. Yeah. And I did so much heroin that it finally took away the craving for the meth. And then I went down to cocaine. And I did so much cocaine that it took away the craving for heroin. And then it, and he just continued to wow. work backwards you know, you think about any drug and what it does to you and how it messes you up. But methamphetamine is the bottom or the top. I don't know which direction right. of all of those drugs and what it does to people. Uh, people will say meth has been around since the 80s. Uh, it is still, we we were, I'm not sure if we still are, the meth capital of the nation. Um, and and you, you just, it's been quiet. To me, it's been kind of quieter since the meth project. And I don't know if that's the right word. What's what's happening? Because it's still impacting lives. It's still killing our keiki, still killing our adults, still killing even kupuna. Correct. Methamphetamine is one of those drugs that it can be quiet in that we push people to the side when they are on it, when they're acting these ways. We don't want to interact with them. We try to ignore the activities that they're accomplishing, unless, of course, we send them straight to the police. So... The trick is that methamphetamine, there's so many stories about how it started, when it started, um, what it is. I mean, Ritalin, if you've ever given your kid Ritalin back in the day or even currently, um, you talk clear up through um, Adderall today. It's chemically the same thing. It's just being given at a different diagnosis, or different levels of, and it's produced correctly. But you can make meth straight on the street out of a 
two-liter you know, Coke bottle. And so that's the street version of something. I remember years ago, I worked in group homes with residential treatment facility for sexually abused kids. We had one way out of control, and I was in college. So, yeah, it's a couple years ago. And this kid was so out of control, the psychiatrist met with him and gave him Ritalin. I didn't know what it was. He woke up in the morning, and he had this glassy stare versus literally the night before we had the police out there helping us get him under control. And I said, what is this drug? What has it done to him? And I went to the psychiatrist, and I said, what, what is this that you've done to him? He says, give him a week or two. He'll be okay. But he said, the odd thing is for people that don't need it and their brains are connected properly, if you or I took that exact same thing, we would be high as a kite the first day and we'd be addicted to it. And that was my introduction to what methamphetamine can do to the system and what it does. Um, as far as us here in Hawaii being number one, you know, I've been privileged or I think I would say privileged the past few years to live on the mainland and travel quite a bit for the work I do now. The same statement about being the number one capital for meth definitely occurs in Arkansas. It occurs in Missouri. And if you study where people say we're number one and why, it has to do with the rural isolation of the drugs. Because if you're in a big metropolitan area, it's easy to get weed. It's easy to get heroin, cocaine, all these other things. And the prices are not as high as when you have to cart them out to somewhere isolated, such as Hawaii. And I think some of the reason, Ron, that you may not have – you feel like it's not there as strongly is – and I'll just to toot our own horn for the meth project, the Hawaii meth project back in the day. We were blessed to have Hollywood-produced television commercials that we placed on air and we were given the funding to put on television, put in the radio, and put in the buses and put on the, the billboards inside the malls um, all over the place. You couldn't step anywhere without seeing those ads, Right. You know, in my days in television, this was when I started to uh, be involved with the Hoy Meth Project with you and, and, and you know, being a part of, of seeing face-to-face -face with some of these keiki and teenagers. I mean, I remember going to a few events with you and, mm -hmm. and listening and talking and, and sharing my, my heart. Um, you know, you, you, you don't know who's out there who's using Right. Not everybody's tweaking. Not everybody's right. high. Not everybody's losing their teeth. Uh, I mean, this is a real ugly drug, but at the same time, it can be a hidden drug. It's one of those drugs that you can quietly become addicted, even adults. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely right. And again, because Adderall is the same components within reason. So to stay up and do more days of work, whether you're, you know, you're driving trucks, to be honest, or you know, working the docks or wherever you're at, you could be out as a fisherman working around here and you've got to stay awake and do your thing. You'll get hooked before you realize it to a prescription drug, which then when you can't get the prescription, you go buy it on the street because it's there and it's cheap compared to any other drug. Uh, you know, according to the DOH, meth-related deaths hit a 22-year high here in Hawaii in 2020. Wow. 192 deaths. And that's up from about 169 in just 2019. So I think it's a responsibility uh, even here at PBS Hawaii to continue this discussion because I'm not sure if people realize, uh, you know, because the meth project is not with us anymore, right. that we're we're being that this issue is still front and center for many families and still destroying lives and still you know costing jobs and marriages and and in some ways um, you know just our society is still broken. Right, and it, it it was really it was hard for me and yet I understood full on when the Hawaii Meth Project closed here. What occurred was we had conversations where our board members and others said, "You can't give." It's hard to get money for prevention. 
because the Hawaii Meth Project wasn't out there treating those that were addicted. We were trying to educate people before they became addicted. And that's a really tricky thing to do at a good level that makes sure everybody goes, oh, yeah, I don't want to do it. Especially when you're looking at one, two, at most 3% of the population using. And especially at the younger ages, that's usually typically where it landed, as I recall, was around 2% of Hawaii's high school youth were using, which is way too high a number, by the way. And yet people go, well, there's other problems. There's other things, too. And so it was hard to get money to do the education piece. And so at one point, we finally said, let's pass our assets over. And we gave them to the uh, Coalition for Drug-Free Hawaii. And Greg Chapkus is their executive director there. And I called him up last week and said, Greg, I'm going to be talking with Ron on, on his podcast. And I want to understand what's going on now. He had the most amazing analogy that I hadn't thought of because I lived in the Hawaii Meth Project. And for me, that was what I thought, oh, of course, this is one we have to talk about. He says, so Dave, I hear where you come from and I appreciate it. We're doing great work with your assets, but he says, let's say we're trying to cure obesity in society. And we realize that cheeseburgers are the ultimate killer of people because they are the number one cause of obesity. So, so if we go out there and we actually wipe out all cheeseburgers and nobody is allowed to eat or you know, sell or see a cheeseburger, we still won't cure the root cause of obesity. He says, we've just taken one small piece. He says, we need a bigger, more broad-based approach to this for all drugs. Because if they knew from the beginning that marijuana or whatever the gateway drug is of the moment for whatever kids, because it truly changes. We as adults say, oh, it's marijuana. That's the one that's the gateway. That's changing over time. And as we legalize it, I'm not sure that's going to be the gateway in the same way as we normalize it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying these things change. And we adults don't understand how the kids get into this stuff. We think we do. I can tell you now, every parent listening, you're wrong about your own kids' opinions and thought process on what they see drugs to be and what is dangerous. And so Greg's perspective of we have to do a broader-based approach to live your life in a way that these chemical components don't affect you the way they can. That's it, I, I, like, I like that approach. I, yeah. I think it's important to understand that, uh, David, because while the focus so much was on meth and it was like on the news, I mean, we recently just had... Uh, a meth dealer who was a high-profile uh, uh, advocate for Native Hawaiians, um, you know, he was a dealer. And here, he was super established, credible young man with so much ahead of him, and yet he was, you know, yeah. r helping destroy lives yeah. by doing his part. And, and again, that's the source, but really that's not the field source. I mean, right. we talk about drugs in Hawaii right now, opioids. Uh, are getting a lot of attention, right? Right, as, and rightfully so, because it's it's a drug that um, can be a silent killer as well. Uh, opioid deaths uh, in 2020 was a four year high of 69. Uh, still, meth trumps that. Yep. Uh, yep. But we got to talk about all of them. So I, I think he's got the right approach. How do we keep the conversations moving? Is there a solution? What do parents need to do? People li listening to this podcast, I like what you said. Uh, about parents' awareness because the reality is many as, of us parents aren't aware right. of how our kids are getting their information. Right. Talk about fake news and misinformation. <laughs> I mean, the coconut wireless, even for a keiki, can be filled with misinformation. Correct. Yeah, and I'm waiting for you to ask me what school I went. Yeah. Because um, that's, I'm going to tell you about my kids and I'll just say, well, they went to school here in Hawaii, so they, that, that, that trumps, right? I was raised on the mainland. But my daughter, who did go to a private high school here on island, Hawaiian Mission Academy, a good Christian small school, all of this, 
I got her involved with the Hawaii Meth Project as I got involved in it because we had this really unique system where we we got 20 of the kids from the entire state that were like senior class presidents and student body association leaders. And we brought those 20 kids together and we gave them ownership of the organization every year. And we said, you tell us the message we need to give your peers. And then those kids guided all of what we did and they would go run the rallies at the schools as well. And I asked my daughter once, I said, so did you want to get involved in this just because it looked good on your resume? She goes, dad, no. She says, you don't understand. She says, I actually don't know myself about this stuff and what I should or shouldn't be doing. And when my peers talk to me, I don't know what to tell them. But here she is going through school with every privilege and every understanding that these chemicals really mess with you. And she was open enough with me to say, dad, I myself need to understand this better. And if that's from my perspective, my daughter telling me that, that's important that we tell everyone. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. You know, there's it, a part of me that I, while I appreciate you sitting across from me, I almost want an, another teenager sitting with you yeah. because we need to, uh, we need, we need to go there. Yeah. We need to hear from them. So when, when I would go to your camps and your, your programs and see these 20 young leaders uh, speaking on behalf of their peer group, that's powerful mm-hmm. because somebody who's, I'm not going to say our age, is they're not going to get, they're not going to open up to you. Correct. Right. So I can, I can tell you this and, and meth has destroyed a part of our, my family. Mm. Uh, and I've shared you that in this yeah. part of my testimony and um, I've watched it take away so much of their childhood, uh, physically their teeth disappearing, yep. uh, stealing from within the family. I mean, it, it is a, devastating thing to watch and you almost feel helpless. Yep. Uh, yep. But the good news, and I want to share this good news is you can overcome this, but it takes a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous support group. And it's very easy like alcoholism and everything else that we have vices and demons about. It's easy to fall back into that. One of the primary staff people I worked with, I won't name her. Um, I know Ron, you've met her a number of times. In fact, she was on meth for all of her high school years plus. She ended up in jail, and that's how she got off. It was flat out. She was in jail, and they couldn't get access. Um, ever after, I would talk with her about it. She had all brand-new teeth put on while she was in prison, She the, the horror stories of what she went through. But she kept every day, every week, I would watch her. And this was eight, ten years after she had gotten clean. I continued to watch progression in her in her vitality is the best word I've got, and growth back to normalcy of life, because meth really does suck that out of you. And so over time, it does come back, and it takes a long time, but it was there. And there are treatments, there are ways. Don't just go cold turkey. It's really a bad, bad thing. But there's so many resources out there um, that are working on that, because we don't want to just say and give up on everyone that's on it. No, we can't. Just can't happen. And some of them get lost, right? On the Absolutely. streets, uh, uh, in the system, um, and and sadly, it starts very early. I want you to um, share with our listeners something that you wrote many years ago. Um, it's a powerful story, and, and it, you know, I it, I want to set some time away for this because it's it's important message that that if you are listening today, that this can happen very early in life, the exposure. Yeah, um, and it's important to know you're speaking from. First person. You're speaking Absolutely. from experience. Yeah, this. Please sure. share. 
Sure. So what we did at the meth project is we would go into the schools, sometimes grade schools. Often we started intermediate, rarely in grade school, and we modified what we said there. But in high school, we hit them hard with exactly what's going on, the pictures, the visuals, yeah, yeah just yeah. in their face. And when I first started, I would go along and watch the staff members do it. And often we'd actually send those kids, the, the teen advisory council, they were the ones giving the presentation. So this was on another island. Um, I this was on Big Island, actually, on the Hilo side. And we were at an intermediate school. And I was sitting in the back of the room just learning still, watching what was going on. And when I, we got done, I went back to – I actually went over to the beach and sat in my car by myself and I wrote this first draft. And it's never been published. It's nothing like that. But this – I needed to capture and understand what I was experiencing as I did it. Every time there was a question, his hand went up. This was fun. He knew the answers to the questions. He was sitting in the back row, my favorite row in school, too. I like this kid. At first, he was very eager to answer. These were easy questions. But after the fourth time, he was the first to raise his hand and also the only person in the class to have the right answer. He was smart enough to slow down his response time. Yet he stayed engaged throughout the lesson. His face lit up at least a little as different aspects were presented. This was a topic the boy already knew a lot about. As I observed him, I wondered at this likable young man. The chairs on either side of him were empty. He looked to me like he should have plenty of friends, maybe even be popular. But instead, he positioned himself in the classroom as a loner, and intermediate school is not a place you want to be alone. Sadly, the lesson that day was not reading, writing, or arithmetic. It had nothing to do with the rules of a sport, musical instruments, or any other normal extracurricular activity one would learn about in a classroom. Instead, Today, there was a guest speaker talking about the dangers of methamphetamine. What are the street names for meth? He knew six. What are some of the key ingredients used to make meth? He rattled off five before the presenter asked him to let others have a chance too. What is meth mouth? Easy. What is tweaking? He knew. The rest of the class was engaged, listening, trying to answer. But it was quickly obvious to the adults in the room that this sixth grader knew far too much about methamphetamine use. He was bright enough to catch that as well, so he stopped answering. He stayed observant, but silent. He was intrigued that this dark part of his world was being presented in the light of this usually, obl usually oblivious classroom. The presenter and the teacher exchanged a few knowing looks throughout the 45 minutes. And without saying a word to each other, they walked up to the boy, and together they pulled him away from his classmates as they exited the room. Sure enough, his brother was a, cu a current user. His uncle was a user. Every day he saw what it was doing to people he loved. Far too many hands are raised in classrooms throughout Hawaii when the question is asked, how many of you have ever seen a crack pipe? Far too many live with the destruction that is meth, crank, batu, ice, chalk, glass, Junk, gack. Far too few adults have a clue what goes on behind the closed doors of the youth they pass on the street every day. Far too few are out there working with our youth to make sure they know the dangers. This must change. We must keep at this until no child sitting in such a presentation for the first time is able to raise his hand or her hand. We must keep going until, just like chickenpox, meth becomes a thing our youth read about in history books. This is the one time we must work together to make sure less kids in the sixth grade are able to raise their hand. Wow. That's powerful, David. Wow. That's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. 
I know that has not even been printed anywhere. No. I appreciate you sharing that with our, our podcast listeners. Folks, again, if you know someone or even yourself is struggling with this with this drug, you're not alone. There is help. And I urge you, urge you to, to, to seek it. Uh, it can be beaten, but it will take a tremendous amount of work. Ron, if, if I could. Yeah, please. I urge anyone that's struggling with it personally or knows someone that is, yeah. tell the people around you. It, everyone around will surround you with love and care. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to push you away. The people in Hawaii especially, we love each other. There's a reason we call it an ohana. And they will surround you with what it takes in order to beat this drug. They will figure it out. It's what we do. That's what here in Hawaii we all do for each other. And I'll leave it with that. And we'll end with that. David, thanks for joining us on the program and, and shedding some light and insight on uh, a drug that's in many of our schools still very much today. All right, mahalo nui for joining us. Join us next week uh, for another episode of What School You Went. Until next time, ahuiu. What School You Went is a PBS Hawaii production. Music by Taimane Gardner. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell your friends. You can find us on pbshawaii.org and everywhere you get your podcasts.